Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Brian Robbie, former big league infielder, now the coach of the Bethel University Royals. And, and Brian, are you trying to tell me that you guys had doubleheader today and you just finished it? Did you finish under the lights in the cold, or what happened? You, you know, we don't have lights here at Bethel, but we... <laughs> At, at Bethel, the sun was just peeking out at the end here, at the very, very end. And literally, I just walked up to my office. We uh, uh, we ended about uh, about five ten minutes ago. And, and oh, you're kidding me! We, we are we're very cold. Let's put it that way. Well, you, and your ballpark's tucked away not far from uh, uh, your facility there. But holy cow, that's a long doubleheader. Who'd you play? How'd it go? And what was it like to play in the cold? Well, we played uh, St. Mary's today. Today we split. We're 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 actually having a great year here at Bethel. We're, we're nineteen and four right now. And Wow. Six two in, in the Mayak and and we played a really good. Uh, we we won the first game and then we had we were down eight. To, um, I believe it was eight to two, um, something like that in the in the last or eight to three in the last standing and we ended up um, almost pulling it out at the end. But St. Mary's held on and they did a nice job today. So we got a split and and nobody has frostbite that we know of. Yet. <laughs> Not and, yet. Uh, we'll yeah, now, now how many games have you played outside Minnesota this year? Uh, well, we, we went down to Florida. We played eight there, the, and, and then we played um, uh, four, four, six of the Dome. Yep. So we played four. So, yeah, we played probably 10 games. Yeah, 17 games outside we've been out. 17, I just counted. 17 outside 17. and about 11 yeah. of them in Minnesota? Yes, yep. yep. How, how, what, I mean, it's been miserable, Brian. I, 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 yeah. And I and I know, and I you know, I played in the MIAC, and I know you know we get done by um, uh, the fishing opener, so it, it is a short season for everybody in a lot of games. And and I can remember going to the cafeteria and drinking hot coffee. That's when I started drinking coffee just to warm up after these doubleheaders on days like today. But but my bigger question is, Brian, because I think probably all coaches are asking it right now. Um, we haven't gotten any favors in Minnesota here for the last several years. We've had terrible springs, and we've had COVID. And and, right. and and we're trying to grow the game and keep people and, and kids engaged in baseball. How do you do that when you're given this piece of pie that you've got to work with in, in the form of this bad weather? You play. That's how you do it. You just, just keep play playing. It. And, the, and, and, the one, and the one thing, and, and that's the one thing that is a, is a great point, is that we had COVID. And, and some of these kids lost the entire year of our participating they're loving the fact that they get to play in that good point. Problem. Yep, forty you know? degrees. Hey, that's a lot better than sitting in my dorm wishing I was playing, huh? Exactly. So you go and play. And you know what? It's it's funny because the players that are playing, like tonight, I'll give you an example. We had we had fourteen hits. 
They had mm-hmm. four. We had twenty eight hits. Wow! And I bet you the field like temperature was probably what thirty, yeah, thirty two, yeah. And we 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 had twenty eight hits between the two. And a couple guys got hit by pitches. That can't be fun. I've been there, done that. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, you just play, and you don't worry about the elements. The guys that really get cold are, my quite honestly, are the coaching staff. Um, <laughs> the best players. They get cold. You shouldn't worry about the coaches now. Yeah, the coaches. I'm more worried about for frostbite than the players. Trust me. Uh, the old guys, we, we, it's a little tougher for us, I think, sometimes. But the guys running around, you know, they they play, and and you know, we we we, you know, you you just do it now. This to me is the breaking point. What we did today, this was probably, you know, when we put, first had the game, we thought we were playing today. Yep. Um, it was supposed to be 54 degrees. Yep. Okay. And then every day, every hour, the temperature <laughs> kept going down, down. Last night, they said it was supposed to be 47 yep. or somewhere right around there with a little bit of wind, but pretty dry. Well, guess what? It rained for most of the morning or had that mist. Yep. And we and the you know we were at 38, 39, 40 degrees with the wind blowing. And if I had a nicer day tomorrow or Friday, both teams would have said we're moving the game to that day. That's sure. how we do it, Mike. Yep. So we have our schedule. <clears throat> Excuse me, but if we have Wednesdays or game, which it was, and we look and it's thirty nine degrees with wind, and tomorrow it's going to be forty eight degrees, no wind. We could just say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna bump our game till tomorrow. And Amayak does a great job. The umpires do a great job um, facilitating all that. And we play on a warmer date. We're kind of stuck right now, Mike, because the next two days are worse than what today might be. Yep. So now our next game, this was really kind of funny because, and, and I wonder if, but we're supposed to play Hamlin on Saturday at 6 o'clock at night. Over over at St. Paul, at, at, at the St. Paul Park? Yeah. The high is supposed to be 40 for the day. By the time we play, <laughs> and there's supposed to be a 20-mile-an-hour win, there's, that's a feel-like temperature of probably in the upper 20s, low yeah. 30s. Yeah. That's game time, game one. Yeah. So we've got to figure that stuff out. you know. But, we, Mike, another reason why we play, to answer your question, is so we don't back up games. Yeah. we got two games in today. The whole, entire MIAC played except for two teams. Okay. And everybody else play. The reason we do it is because we're looking ahead. We don't want to get backed up. We have one Mayak team that's already down because of his field condition that he's already down two full series. Oh yeah. I mean, what do you do? So we're, we're trying to stay ahead of it a little bit. And that sometimes that means you play in a little bit, um, in tougher uh, elements, but this is nothing compared to what COVID did. To us. That's a great point. That's great. Now, now, Brian Robbie's our guest, Bethel coach and uh, former Gopher, former big league ball player, etc. Uh, he, he's seen it all in his day, and and and, and uh, he's got a son that's playing pretty high level right now too. But 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 Brian, uh, if you're let's take it down a level, let's say high school, junior high coach, you're talking about now uh, April thirteenth, and um, maybe I was talking to a high school coach yesterday. They've played one game so far. Uh, right. Their team went to Florida early and, and scrimmaged amongst each other. They came back, and they've barely been outside the gym. They played a game because right. it was nice enough, too, but they've been, barely been outside the gym. What advice do you give to those coaches about keeping their kids engaged uh, in, in baseball, you know, a sport that we love, but we also know that, you know, some kids don't have the attention span for it. Right. And, and, and especially when you have to send them back inside after they've been outside, what can you do to, to not just make it fun, but you, you want to make sure that they're progressing and improving. 
Well, what we what we do here at Bethel is, is and what I what I would tell you, and coaches do, when you you have your your workouts early to get every, they, to develop your teams and things like that. So the whole month of February, for example, at Bethel, we we practice, um, and it's all indoors, obviously. Uh, we're practicing indoors so for that entire month, and then at the end of the month, early March, we start playing games. After we start playing games, we cut our practices in half. We just go and and we've done all our pickoffs, we've done all our PFPs and things. We do a lot. Yep. We still work on that stuff. Yep. But we try to try to cut the practices in half so that the guys are doing the important stuff that they need to do. They're throwing. They're getting ground balls. They're um, hitting. Uh, if we need to work on something quick, we do do that. Uh, but then we get them in, get them out. And the reason why is to keep them interested, to keep them there, and mm. to keep them. Uh, you know, uh, tomorrow I called. I, I gave no practice tomorrow, and the reason why had a good game. Had a couple games, uh, very spirited games. Uh, we've been playing a lot. We've been playing well. Boom! Tomorrow we'll we'll take a day off just to try to to get them back into class and make sure that they're doing the stuff they have to do there. And then boom, we hit it again on Friday. We try to play on Saturday if we can. And so I I try to do whatever we possibly can uh, to to once the season is going on, even for high school. I when I did it there at Forest Lake. Is if we have situations like this, we we'd practice. Um, if I had three days before a game, I would maybe would call and say, "Hey, no practice today," because we have two more days before we play. Uh, but a lot of times, if we did practice, I got them in, did our stuff, we hit, we did our stuff, main stuff we had to do, and then get them out. And uh, trying to keep them encouraged. Now, here's the other thing, Mike, that people have to remember in Minnesota: if you're really a, if you play baseball and you play a lot of it, we have three seasons in Minnesota. We have the spring, high school. We have the summer, which is Legion or whatever affiliation. Town ball, yeah, whatever, yep. Okay, and then in the fall, there's also fall leagues they play in. So theoretically, when the season starts, you almost have your 20-game season plus playoffs with high school. Then you have your 30-game season or so in the summer. So there's 50-some. And then you play another X amount, whatever you do in the fall. Some you know play upwards of 30 games there. There's your season. Yeah, and you have to look at a big picture, you're saying. There you go. Yeah. Now, now I have often thought, and I'm probably obsessive about this, and I certainly haven't written a book on this for sure, but I always thought that you can't hit enough in Minnesota, that you can't get enough swings in in Minnesota because, you know, the short season to begin with. Once the season starts, how many cuts do guys need to take uh, during the week, because I'm always thinking, man, find a place to hit wiffle balls, find a place to hit wiffle ball, yep. golf balls, find, you know, go on the net, whatever, just hit, hit, hit. Uh, I, I know I overdo this because that's not necessarily working on mechanics as much as it is just hitting, but, but what, what is your rule of thumb? What we do is, like I said, is once we get, I get, I make sure that the guys get, are, are comfortable. I give them what they need and what they want when they feel that they're good. And now remember, I coach at college now where I'm dealing yep. with young men. So when they, when they feel like, hey, they, they've got it, they feel good. Um, uh, they're done. And, and some guys take a lot of swings. Other guys don't take as much. Um, I, the one thing we do really well here, Mike, in Minnesota, and I'm talking the high school coaches, uh, the college coaches, I tell you what, if I was the best thing that I, my best practices, I know by far at Bethel is in February. It's uh-huh. not in the spring. My yep. best practice practices is when I have everybody that we could do the fundamentals and work on the fundamentals. And really, when we go down south to play, we play teams all over the country. We usually are the most fundamental team on the field. Why? That's all we work on here. In the winter, we're on the fundamentals, 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 fundamentals. And I think you, you should swing a lot, but when you've had enough, move on. 
and your know body. your body, know yourself. Okay, know last body, question for you, Bri- Brian Robbie. I don't know if you heard about today's game, but it was a classic uh, uh, manager's dilemma, uh, players' de- delight, whatever you want to call it. You know, Clayton Kershaw threw seven perfect innings for the Dodgers against the Twins, 13 strikeouts, 21 batters faced, and they pulled them at the 80 pitchers. Uh, they pulled them, uh, you know, for the obvious reasons that uh, it's early in the season, et cetera. What would you have done as a manager, and how do you feel about that when a guy's got a perfect game going after seven innings uh, this early in the season, in, in this case against the Twins today? Well, it's two, it's, it's two things. Number one, I'm not in that spot to, to do that. But um, in that spot, especially with a, 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 a curse, I would rely on him. He, he, you know, he, he's, he's been around. He, he knows what he's done. He's, a, he, he's, he's an unbelievable pitcher. He's one of the best that there's been left-handers. And if and I'd go up, I would have gone up to him and said, "Hey, where you at? What are you doing?" Now he had 80 pitches to me. Um, now with him, there's a one thing, Mike, that 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 we have to remember. He had arm injury last year. Am I yep. correct on that? I yep. believe he did. So in that situation, it, honestly, knowing that, I probably pull him. Yeah. And the reason why is because a, a, a no hitter perfect game is great, but I would really rely on the pitcher a little bit. But we're trying to win a World Series at that level. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I don't know what the score was if they were up seven nothing. It was four to like nothing. They basically had the game in hand. You know, game in hand at that point. You got your closers. Everybody set up. My bet is the manager um, at, at that level. Uh, the pl- the players the players have a big say in what they're going to do. The manager is the boss, yes, but the the players have a lot of say in where things are at. And a lot of times you get feel it feels. You know, I even do that with players. Hey, where are you feeling? What's going on? What are you doing? And if they give me any type of indication that. It's not right. Boom, we get him out. And, uh, and my assumption is that they did that. Did he end up throwing a team no hitter today or no? No, they gave one hit in the eighth, one meaningless hit. And uh, but but all the conversation, of course, about the perfect game. It wasn't just a no hitter; it was a perfect game in this case. You know. Well, let me tell you something, Mike. Whoever got the hit today, that wasn't meaningless to them. No, you're absolutely right. And you know what? I think about that every time I'm watching at bat. There is no such thing as a meaningless at bat in the big leagues, is there? I mean, you grind out every pitch, don't you? Every pitch and, and every hit, like I said, there, it, like when I, I tease my hitters, there's never ever um, what it, when, when I watch hitters and they and they get a blue pit or they don't hit it well and they get a hit and they're on first base and kids do this or even pro guys sometimes do it and they act disappointed. Yeah, like and they got a hit. I'm like, man, oh man, don't ever do that don't because do that. baseball guys will get you and they'll see that and they say, okay, <laughs> you don't like that hit. Here comes your 0 for 30. <laughs> I know. Why are we so programmed that way through this yeah. game of baseball, man? That's that's exactly what this game does to us, you know. I, I have to be happy or otherwise I'm going to get, you know, and, and, and we believe if we hit line drives, they catch that eventually they go through and all that stuff. But it's the but, but if, you, if you think there's a meaningless at bat, wait till you can't play baseball anymore. And there is no meaningless at bat when you can't have one anymore, right? Absolutely, yeah. and, and I, I'm teasing, obviously, when I, I know. say that. But I but, know, you know, but yeah, but that but, is the way I, we program our our brains in baseball. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. a tough game, and and it's it's one of the and, and baseball is just one of because you know when you watch it and, and when you watch it from afar and you're and you're, even when you're coaching and, and you're like you know what are we looking for why are we not swinging at that how are we not hitting that ball. Well, you know what? It's kind of like that old adage. Well, did you go up there and do it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You think this is easy? Here's a bat. You step up there <laughs> Brian, I appreciate it very much. Keep up the great work. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk soon. Hey, thank you, buddy. I, I appreciate it. You have a great night. You bet. Brian Robbie. Do you believe in karma, folks? You see, there's this thing in baseball. There's all these unwritten rules, and the unwritten rules are, I'll fill in the blank when we come back, but if, if you're not familiar with it, 
it'll blow you away because it makes no real sense, but it makes perfect sense if you're a baseball player. Stay tuned. Brace yourself. You won't believe what I'm about to tell you. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, a guy that I've gotten over the last few years. Uh, he's a coach. He was an athlete, but there's so much more to Dominique Pierre Toussaint than that. Dom, Dom, thank you for joining us. How's it going, Mike? How's it going? Good, man. I want to start with, because you tell the story better than I, you know, where you've ended up, and, and you're in downtown Hopkins and some of the things that you've done. Downtown Hopkins was just recognized last night, and I'll be darned if the mayor didn't point you out in the midst of that speech for very good reason. But explain how Dom grew up and how football helped change his life. Well, so um, I grew up, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, um, and uh, reside in uh Far Rockaway, Queens, Edgemere Projects, you know, during the uh, crack era, right with the beginning of the crack era. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was different seeing the change from night to day due to the effects of uh, drugs hitting our community. And I I lived in a a pretty tough community. Edgemere was a tough community, but uh, it made me who I am today. Claimed the lives of some of your friends, but you took a different path. What did you do? Um, actually, uh, hip hop, um, yep. was a part of my, my life. Uh, it actually, I was into the arts. It, it took an art teacher and a music teacher that noticed that I had a passion for it and they helped me utilize that passion in a, in a good form. And it took a mentor, Mr. Smalls that, uh, took me out of the streets from doing graffiti and took me into a center and actually had me do my graffiti on the wall instead of defacing property and getting into trouble or behind bars. So um, it took it took some mentors to make me who I am today, too. So you're playing football. You've got somebody channeling your art and energy in the right direction, but it's never a smooth path. How, when you left high school, how did you end up in Minnesota? <laughs> Actually, I was in Maryland. Uh, I moved kind of like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air type situation from the streets of Edgemere. Yep. Got into a life-threatening situation there and had to move and moved in with my aunt and uncle in uh, Maryland and attended a school in the suburbs. So that was different for me from being from the urban area and moving into a suburb area. And uh, coach pulled me along and yanked me into wrestling. And the only thing I knew, Mike, was WWF. So yeah. I was pretty strong, and, and he noticed that. So he utilized my strength and he guided me to a place that actually earned me a scholarship out to Dickinson State University. And then what? And then, you know, in Dickinson State University yep. in North Dakota, yep. it uh, gave me a little chance to uh, explore football, too, even more. So I played for Hank Bijou out there for uh, one season. And, you know, the, the, the tracks of not continuing school the proper way kind of led me to uh, not finishing school. But that led me uh, here to Minnesota um, instead of moving back to Brooklyn. And when I moved here to Minnesota, uh, it was a buddy of mine that uh, was working for, for Prince at that time. And he asked me to uh, join him and being uh, one of the security guards, with, excuse me, a bodyguard with him out at Paisley Park and on a couple of events that he had downtown. And that opened my eyes up to Minneapolis and noticed the the beauty of the arts here, and it started bringing the arts back out in me, Mike. What was Prince like? Uh, he was a he was an interesting gentleman. Um, I've rarely talked to him, 
it was only during the late night uh, that he would have functions out at Paisley Park. But I do remember, <laughs> I do remember one story. Uh, I was guarding the steps that go up to uh, where top DJ area, and I saw a silhouette, and it was just a small silhouette. And I, I'm going to tell you, Mike, I thought it was a woman going up the steps. So yeah. I screamed at him. Yeah. Screamed at him and said, "Hey, get over here!" And uh, as the silhouette got closer, and I looked a little deeper and I noticed I noticed it was uh, Prince. We used to call him old boy. Yeah. I noticed it was Prince and he walked up to me and he said, well, at least I know you're doing your job. And then he uh, told me to walk through the crowd with him to get to the DJ booth. So mm-hmm. uh, he was a very interesting cat. Okay, so now you've coached. Uh, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but I, I want to... Y- You've gotten involved in a couple of things in Hopkins, and, and I mentioned that you got called out for it in a good way last night from from the mayor because you're doing something in downtown Hopkins uh, with your talents and your gifts. Explain what's happened in downtown Hopkins and what role you're playing in it. Well, I work for um, ICA Food Shelf. Yep, and and um, I'm the community relations manager for ICA Food Shelf. So in my role, um, what I do, Mike, is I first create a space to listen to the concerns of new generation, our new generation, and community leaders, city officials, and Hennepin County officials. Then I identify the common grounds between the conversations then, um, that they share about their concerns. And the three major concerns I've heard uh, repeatedly revolves around food insecurities, employment, counseling, and housing. And the funny thing is, with this organization that I'm with, they just so happen to provide me with the exact resources needed for this community-first approach to addressing the immediate needs of our service areas. So what I've done is I utilize those resources that I have to really extend myself to the community, and the Hopkins community has accepted me, and they've taken, they've brought the art back out of me, Mike. Um, I lost it for a little bit, but... I found my passion again, and this great city has given me that opportunity to share my eclectic thoughts and um, out-of-the-box thinking here. Dominique PR uh, Toussaint is our guest. He's out in Hopkins. He's a fixture out there. But I want to get into the food shelf part of it because I don't think people understand. And one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on tonight was because of the work that you, not just you, but the rest are doing there. Explain the need for food shelves in the suburbs because everybody thinks, not everybody, a lot of people think it's only an urban issue. Explain the need for ICA food shelf in the suburbs. Well, first of all, the first thing is everybody always thinks it's just a food shelf. It's not just a food shelf. Much more. Wraparound services. Yeah, much more. Wraparound services. They actually help out with housing. As I stated earlier before, food insecurity, employment assistance, uh, resume assistance, mental health connected with us through a relationship with Relate, and um, housing assistance. So it, it is more than just a food shelf. And right now, that is what I'm trying to do is make sure that our community members understand that we are here to serve them, and we're here to serve them in any capacity as possible to help them achieve. What is the number one need, you think, amongst the people? Uh, the number one need right now, it's, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you due to the stopping. Um, it, there was a, uh, it, it's not food insecurity at the moment, but it's more housing. Housing mm-hmm. seems to be the, the issue right now. And 
you know, we've, uh, as an organization, we um, actually helped about a thousand individuals avoid eviction last year. How do you do that? <laughs> how, do I, how do we do that? Well, we do that with the help of, of Hennepin County, um, excuse me, the CAP Board, CAP uh, Community Action Partnership, um, and also with some of the services from the government, um, which with the CAP HC, I happen to be a board member there as well. Yep. So, so the the people that are in need out there right now um, for food, for housing, for all these things, obviously it's the old saying, you know, teach a man to fish and, and you'll eat for life. What can right. you do? to give them the resources, intellectually speaking, educationally speaking, to help negate this problem? Well, I'm, I'm going to say it, it is not just one, one, um, it is not just ICA to help yep. out with the situation. It takes, it takes collaborating with schools, collaborating with cities, collaborating with parents, caretakers, it, it takes, it's an old saying, Mike, it takes a village, man. Yep. It really does. It takes a village. And I know it's an old saying, but it is the truth. And right now we're working together to end the silos and, and, bring, and, and work as a unity, work in unity right now. So it sounds like a cliche, my man, but it is the truth. We are working together with everybody. And right now um, we, have, we have the backing of the city of Hopkins, we have the backing of Henry County, and the backing of Hopkins Public Schools, and ICA is 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 just another piece on the board to help us move strategically. Now you've raised some great kids, and you know what kids mean. Uh, I know what they mean to you. you I, you've coached them. I've seen you coach them. You've done lots of things for uh, for kids along the way. When you see a kid who is short on hope, meaning they live in a in a and a household where there isn't a lot of reason to be optimistic. What do you try to do for them, and what can we do for them? Well, I just keep it simple, Mike. I find out what they're passionate about, and then I draw off their passion. And then I, you, I create a platform that's off their passion so they can share their gifts with the world and make sure that I actually showcase them in a way that makes them proud to be who they are. That's, that's, that was, that's what was done for me when I was younger. I wish I had all of the resources I have right now. So now that I have all these resources, Mike, I'm just creating platforms for those individuals that are in need like that, especially the youth. What if you see children, not just you, but I'm talking about us or any of us, and you think they're in a bad situation. You think that uh, you know, the parents aren't giving them what they need to be successful. You think that it's going to end badly if they stay in this situation. What do you do? Man, that's a, that's a wide-open question right there, Mike. Yeah, I, but I think about it for ourselves because we all have, sometimes we see things and we're not quite sure, but we think, my God, that kid needs more help than they're giving him, you know? Right. And, and and there's no simple question. There's no simple answer right. to that, Mike. The only thing you can do, and, and, and I'm, let me be clear, too, you're not going to be able to save everybody. Mm-hmm. So, And that's that's the role that, that's that's what I keep in mind because because you try, you try to do the best that you can and whatnot. You can't, you can't for sure think that they're going to listen to you or follow you. But the best that I do, the only thing I know to do 
to be myself and to show that individual um, that I am here for them as long as they're here to work with me to help them. What do you tell people that go, you know, I'm at a stage in life where I need to give something back and I'm not quite sure how I can be most effective in doing that. How can people be effective in volunteering? I don't know if it is for your group or not, but what what kind of inventory should they take and where should they go if they have a resource, if it's not just money, but I mean the ability to mentor or to assess, what what can they do? Well, first I have them meet, uh, reach out to me and then share what their passion is. And then what I do from there, Mike, is I create so many platforms in the community, Mike, that I will find something with your skill set to actually assist and volunteer. Um, but I make sure that it fits along your schedule. I make sure that it's, um, that you are comfortable in doing it. So the first step, Mike, is reach out to me. And that's at ICA. And uh, ICA, like, like uh, Dom said, it, it's much bigger than – it's not just a food shelf. It's so much more. But I guess what I'm trying to do is get people to think about, you know, what could we do? Where could we fit? If we, we, people have skill sets and gifts that I think get underutilized, particularly as they get older, Dom, that could be exactly. incredible assets for organizations like yours. Well, at ICA Food Shelf, actually, majority, we run by volunteers. But just say a high percentage of our our um, considered coworkers are volunteers, um, and it's individuals with different skill sets. They come to us and they tell us what their passions are, and we place them in a situation that actually helps and benefits us and the community. Dom, I got to tell you though, man, you you don't live life sitting down. You're out there. You're mm-hmm. trying to do something good. You're trying to make Hopkins better. You're trying to make the uh, um, uh, these different communities better because you know who they were because you were there. And I commend you for all that you're doing, and I just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because you're, you are giving something really special back to Hopkins and beyond. So thank you for joining us tonight, and I think you, you know your story. That's why I wanted people to hear your background before we got to the point about what you're doing now because it's uh, – uh, it, it, it's a story that provides hope and it shows us what we should be doing. So I, I, I just appreciate it very much. And you and I will have coffee again soon. All right. All right, Mike. I look forward to it. Don't threaten me with a good time. You got it, buddy. Dominique Pierre Toussaint, the one and only Dom. Uh, ICA is a, is a great group. There's so many of them, but uh, he has just been an integral part of it out there with uh, Dan Knorr and that whole group. And um, what they're doing is, you know, Trying to take care of their neighborhood. If you just take care of your neighborhood, just a few people. Because you can't do it all. You can't just motivate the masses. But if you can just take care of a couple people, and we all can just take care of a couple people, we really can do some things. Back to talk, what else? Wrestling Lollapalooza. I didn't know that existed when we come back. We were just talking with Dom, one of the great people that I know in my life. Makes my life better. And uh, he was talking about being a bodyguard for Prince. And and First Avenue and all that went with it, and and, and then uh, uh, Tubbsy mentioned that he'd been to First. Ave- I didn't know that First Avenue had these events. They, they have wrestling events at First Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few what weeks they, ago. When, when did this happen? Oh, they've they've had them there for a while. Vern Gagne would is rolling <laughs> over in his grave oh, to man, think that I, they would go to a disco joint. 
I, I tell you what, though, the way that it is, it's called Russell Palooza. Yeah, and um, you know, it, it's put on. We've got very good promotions in this in in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay. I mean, so we, so who shows up for this? I mean, I mean, they got a ring in the middle of First Avenue. Yeah, they've, yep, they've got a they've got a ring. Um, they've got artists uh, like musical artists. Um, they've got burlesque. It's just it's it's like a big old party. But it's just got rustling and it's yeah. music. It's music and it's, you know, standing room only. It's packed to pack, you know, pack, you know, butt to butt. So it's. But do they get headliners? Or are these the minor league wrestlers? Oh, no, they get? they get, yeah, they get headliners. They get, uh, you know, they get people that were there, you know, from, uh, all elite wrestling. They've got, uh, a couple of guys that are really making a name, uh, Dante and Darius Martin, who, uh, are on all elite wrestling. They're known as, top flight and they're a couple of young kids that were trained here in the cities i believe they still live here but they are absolutely main event caliber guys um ari davari uh sheik ari davari uh, you know used to wrestle in uh, wwe uh he's now back and you know working with first avenue and the great thing is they do they do that for the adults but then there's so many really good shows that are you know eight that are you know, kid friendly as well. So it's, I, I just, I don't know. I, and but but I love First, First Avenue have do they have? Is there a music mm-hmm. component to these events because it's at First yeah. Avenue or not really? Yeah, the, yeah. There I is. mean, just background or is there? They're kind of. I mean, you know, what I'm saying, is it a place that you're going? Not only are you going to get the ring, but you're also going to get dancing uh, yeah. or a singer or I don't know. Yeah, they'll have uh, like they had. I'd never heard of this individual. His name is Nerdy, and you are D. And he's he's like a, a, a hip hop wrestling fan, but it, you know he was just he was there, you know, bumping what a, you know bumping his music, and you know he he performed. They've had rock there, uh, you know, and then they have you know burlesque dancers that the will rock go into was there. No, not the rock. They'll have rock music. Although oh, they I was gonna say if you can get the rock, you yeah, got something yeah. big. Yeah. Although they had have uh, you know people like Scott Hall, the late Scott Hall, who was. You know, Razor Ramon, he was there years ago. I mean, they they do a good job of bringing in uh, bringing in talent for for this okay. and and for First Avenue. I mean, it's it's First Avenue. You know, it's First Ave. It's so sometimes when I see those lines outside of there, mm-hmm. it may be for wrestling. Yeah, it, it it might be if if you see a bunch of uh, shady, odd looking people with tattoos, with tattoos, and uh, maybe not uh, the most upkept. Those, okay. those are my people. Then you know it's a wrestling match. That's right? that's a wrestling crowd right there. Yeah, but if you're single uh, at that point in time, you probably don't want to go in there. You know, the same way you would go in first half. No, if you're a weekend, if, right? if no, if you're a single good-looking person, you're not going to wrestling. Yeah, they're going to grind, but it's a different kind of grind. <laughs> yeah, you know little grind. Yeah, no, I I love you know, I love it. It's my Did people. Wrestling take a huge hit. From the COVID and, and, you know, cause you need that studio audience in the form of an arena, whatever, so bad. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, some promotions did it where they'd have it in an enclosed area, but they'd have their wrestlers would, would work as the audience. So you'd have maybe a thousand people or 500. They'd be socially distanced. Um, but then WWE. That's no fun though, you know? No. Yeah. WWE had, yeah, they had what they called the, uh, the Thunderdome where they'd have virtual fans where they'd just be, I don't. I'm not sure if you'd have to pay for a spot or what yeah. it was, but they'd, yeah, they'd have people on a video screen and I don't know, just like anything, you just. <sighs> and if you're willing to pay, they'll work it out for you, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Vince McMahon will take your money, won't he, Hammer? And All he'll right. give you a crappy product in return. Are we done for the night, Tubbsy? Uh, fifteen seconds. Okay, I got the news to do at ten o'clock. Hold on, so. I'll give you a countdown. Wait. Okay. Right. I'll okay. Be on there 10 we go. o'clock news. 
Hammers in the studio. That means the Lake Man is then coming up next. Henry Lake breaking down the NBA playoffs and beyond next on WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 